and welcome to the latest episode of the Lock In Podcast. We're recording this as the sector gears up for the next stage of reopening, with trading soon to resume indoors, and one of the key challenges that is rapidly becoming clear is staffing and recruitment. With me as ever are my two co-hosts for the podcast, Heath Ball and James Cuthbertson. You guys are both experienced businessmen. Heath, you've been hiring and firing people for years and are what any self-respecting HR person would term a total liability when it comes to employment law and staff relations. Less said about that, the better. James, you've been hired and fired many times as well, usually quite quickly. So it'll be good to get the other side of that across as well. So, uh, guys, welcome. Um, Let's, uh, let's, let's start by doing my usual reminder to subscribe to the podcast using the links on the homepage, like us on social, and share far and wide. Now, we've got that out of the way. Um, let's talk about Staffing Channel. We're going to be talking about Staffing Challenge in this week's episode, as well as hearing from Chef Tom Kitchen up in Scotland to see how the Scottish return to trade has been so far. We'll also be speaking to Jill Whitaker of HIT Training to tackle issues around training and retention, and also to, also, rather, to UK Hospitality's Kate Nichols on how the industry can improve its image when it comes to recruitment. But first of all, let's look at you two. Actually, let's not look at you two. I don't want to do that. <clears throat> how did you get into the trade? Was it uh, was it by design or by accident? I was... Uh, Fleeing uh, the country? No, no, I grew up in the trade back home. I think it was, it, it was not an option. I had to work at my dad's restaurants. Just, you get to finish school and go and work in the restaurant. So... What, what about you, James? Um, marketing, then brewing, and then pubs. So, so in that sort of random. I mean, that's a natural progression. I've always found you sort of you've, you've been kicked out of one place, you get kicked out of another, and then you find your natural. Uh... And I think probably the next rundown is probably journalism again. So I, think on that, I just couldn't take a pay cut. <laughs> Would just, you like to ask just walks into that one, <laughs> didn't I? Brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay, well, we're, we're going to be looking at that, in, or things around recruitment, staffing, training, all that kind of stuff throughout this. But before we do that, let's let's look elsewhere in the news. Um, we've had a bit of confusion over vaccine passports. Uh, Boris rolled them out, but no one appears to have informed Michael Gove, who keeps talking about passports for hospitality. So I just thought you said vaccine passports. I was thinking, what have you been doing? But anyway, no. No, no. I mean, Heath, what do you think? Oh, I don't know. He's a liability, isn't he? And he's a bit of a pillock. Um, yeah, they can't. Obviously, they know it won't work. They can't even do the test and trace system. Or the track and trace, whatever they want to call it now. So I, I can't see it working. I don't think the British public will get done problem. now, isn't it? I think that the whole vaccine passport thing is done. Well, yeah, you would think us. so. But, I mean, Michael Gove is basically still briefing... Into, into ministers and things like this talking about it as though it's a reality and it's going to happen for hospitality that's that's the thing it, it's he just seems to be ploughing on regardless so maybe he's just not actually got it's the memo listening. mate yeah, yes, it's just not yeah. being told here's what I've just saying. left him to it if they, if they bring this into hospitality then it not only reaffirms that we've been safe for ages, they have a problem with us, and they hate us, and they want us taken down. And if they bring it in, it's just, that is a full frontal, you know what, we're here to destroy your attack on us. We, we, we know it's going on, but we're sort of going, well, we're all act so confused, why do they hate us, why do they hate us? If they bring in vaccine passports, hospitality, it's, it's, it's a declaration of war as far as I'm concerned. And, and you're moving to North Korea. <laughs> 
Again. Again. Every week. Every week. Um, the other thing with, that we've seen this week were the trials in Liverpool as well. Um, nightclub without social distancing. Um, there was a concert as well, a festival, wasn't there? With that? I mean, what do we think about that? Um, you know, why are they doing this? If, if vaccine passports aren't going to be a thing, I, I don't understand what is they're it, trialling this for. Do you think it's because they think the people in Liverpool are expendable? Why? But why are they doing it in Liverpool? You've completely ruined my joke. That was going to be it. It's, uh, but I mean, you, you had a joke. I mean, I did. I know, and I'd polished it to perfection. And now you've just ruined. No. But I mean, yeah. If you were, if you were a scouser in Liverpool, and the Tory government was yeah. proposing putting you forward as mass guinea pigs in the middle of a pandemic. They must have been sponsored by the Sun. But they've always been the whipping boy for the Tory government, haven't they? Except for that one Tory MP who did a lot for them. Liverpool's always been the whipping boy for the Tories. But but if you think about it, they're talking about following the signs, following the numbers. They 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 haven't done that, right? But equally, so why are they doing this? Are they doing this to find a reason not to do it? Because if you believe the numbers, just stick with the numbers. Yeah. If you, they, they, they didn't bother to look at it when we were open and not the result of you know huge spikes in uh, transmission, mm-hmm. yet have not, again ignored supermarkets. So what's the point? Unless they're holding up and say, if we get the clean bill of health, you open up. This is, this is, this is a sideshow. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, you look at the, uh, what was it, yesterday or something, it was one death. You know, they've said uh, there was another report out today saying that um, deaths from uh, pneumonia and flu are now outstripping COVID. Mm. Yet the government is still behaving like it's it's in a. And they've scared, there. but listen, they've scared half the population into thinking we could have another spike, we could have another um, variation. Do you know, it's they're, they're scaremongering and they're enjoying the power. But you also heard Liz Truss. I think you sent that through to me. So the uh, trade minister, Liz Truss talked about on an interview with um, with Talk Radio, I think it was, yep, was talked yeah. about eradicating the virus. So it's not about living with it and finding a way mm. to, to manage the process and vaccination of the rest of it. They were talking zero COVID policy risk there. But globally zero COVID, do you hear? That's what mm. she said, zero. So we can all go on holidays again. But, but yet we live with the flu and we have two different, um, you know, two different uh, vaccines for that every year. Yeah. What they say on Talk Radio, the girl said... Um, it's 40 years to eradicate smallpox. 40 years. Yeah. Are we going to stay at home, locked up, watching Netflix for the next 40 years? I think we'd have run out of Netflix by that stage. I think we can say what we like, but it's like going outside and shaking your fist at the rain. It makes fuck all difference. <laughs> Do you, do you do that on a regular basis? Yeah, I think yeah. I can't Damn you, Rain! <laughs> Damn you! Thank holiday Monday. Off you go. <laughs> and the other, the other thing that was uh, notable, there were a couple of things, but this one particularly, the High Court case um, that uh, Hugh Osmond hmm. and. Um, uh, I've forgotten his name now. Uh, um, Lord Sasha. Sasha. Sasha the Lord, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. not Lord Sasha, Sasha Lord. Um, they put forward that that was turned down, that was uh, rejected. Yeah, and, and did you see the reason it was rejected? It's just, it's just like, yeah, we're the government, we can do what we want. That was basically it. Well, they, they kind of said that you, uh, that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't submitted quickly enough, which which was hysterical because they literally submitted it the day they got the uh, details out of the government. So. There was no way the government was going to let that slide. There's no way. It, all it did, it, hopefully, it highlighted to customers and hit the general public how hard our trade is. Because, it, but the reality is, the customers don't care. 
yeah, maybe maybe it will stop. You know, from trying to pull that shit again. But um, I think the guys both deserve huge credit for doing it. Someone had to. It was yeah, it was worth doing. I think it's put a sort of line in the sand, hasn't it? And I think the the previous win, which was on the substantial meal, yeah. I mean that's that's it, it obviously was a moot point because the government had sort of said they weren't going to do it but it stops them doing it down the line doesn't it so. and, and hopefully this will do the same in terms of you know we'll, we'll have a more considered approach potentially who knows who knows and of course the other thing we've, we've been writing a lot about and seeing a lot about is um, beer demand outstripping supply hmm. uh, people it's running my house for years. out of beer well yeah I was going to say it's a standard uh, standard feature of the Cuthbertson house it's uh, never has yeah. enough beer in um, what have you experienced that no, no, no. Is that just because but you're? I think it, some of the talk's been banned. Some of the bigger brands. Yeah. I think. I mean, I'm really shocked that you know people knew the unlocking was coming. You have to take a punt. Yeah. I'd understand if a bit more cautious when you knew the lockdown was coming and they were running it down. Yeah. But broadly, summer outside, you had to. What brand owner beer? What the hell? You know, the only big one was beer and Moretti. Was no, there, there were quite a few. I think mm-hmm. Heineken, yeah, were particularly hit. But um, but yeah, there's been the general kind of on on the on the as James was saying, the larger brands I think have been uh, more more affected. Also, you may have to ask whether it's that or whether they didn't put their supply chain back quick enough after furlough rather than product because it doesn't take long to put it together. The product it could those, be logistical. Some of those, yeah. you know, and. Um, I think that may be, and it's also a great story, isn't it? Well, that's it. It's always always a good. Because again, we'll talk uh, about any points with some during Euro twenty one, and you know they'll they just pull the same stuff out every year. Well, they don't for Euro twenty one, but you know broadly, <laughs> it's that stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. Right, okay, well, let's uh, let's move on to the meat of this one, and let's start talking about staff. listening to the lock-in podcast and we're discussing the issue that the entire industry is talking about and that is the finale of line of duty oh what a load of shit that is isn't it what are they <laughs> running out of money we're stuck at home i think they wrote themselves audience. into a corner didn't they oh mate the second to last one they were just in that room i really lost interest on that sort of you know. I mean, there's there's a classic sort of trend of, of building up big series and then ending mm. on a complete damp squib, Game of Thrones, mm. Lost. You know, Line of Duty is obviously adding to this, isn't it? But, uh, I mean, that was six series of our lives wasted, really, wasn't it? Anyway, I'm joking. We weren't going to talk about that. We're here to talk about recruitment and staffing challenges, so a topic that has risen rapidly to the top of most operators' agendas as reopening gets underway. So, I mean, James, hey, what, what's been your experiences to date? So what's what's the staff experience here? It's, it's interesting. We're looking, one of my junior guys is leaving in the kitchen, so I put an advert in for a chef recently, and um, it's great. Brexit's really worked out well, because um, I'm getting people from Lahore and Pakistan apply for jobs. I've heard of it. They're, yeah, we're hearing a lot of people so saying they're getting they're getting random, random like, kind of sort of Afghanistani applicants, all sorts of all over the places. shows. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, but the, 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 especially for chefs, I think I mean, you do have a great reputation that is obviously worldwide. People do hear that the Red Lion and Sun is the place to come and they work. Probably got me confused with the Islamic Association called the Red Lion and Sun. It's a charity event. I think they probably <laughs> thought they were signing up to some charity event. Um, yeah, but I don't know. It's it's it's, it's really it's going to be. I think when 
if you like, I think I said this before. If you sacked all your staff, or you got rid of your staff, laid them off um, over over lockdown, and then you're trying to refire, you're gonna have problems. You really are, because how many people left London alone? Mm. No one's around. It's scary, and the level of applicants are applying, McDonald's, Poundland, and that's the problem this industry has. People just look, oh, anybody can do that job, and it's. It's, you know, I like to think you've got to have a bit of common sense and a bit of understanding and, you know. Um, so, I mean, from your perspective, like you have, uh, you've brought everyone back. Have you lost yep. anyone? No. So you've got 100% retention. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we're hiring new Fucking people. show off. Yeah, we're hiring new people. I've got one guy leaving now, but he, he's been, junior guy, and he's been offered What more did you do to him? <laughs> Not enough, apparently. <laughs> Um, he's been offered more money to be a sous chef at a, at a place, and I, like, I think I, you know, it's just like, what's going on? The guy can't even make mayonnaise, and then he's going to go and run, you know, be number two in charge of a kitchen, but he's getting paid more money. So good on him, but yeah, he's going to feel a lot of stress. But I think, you know, generally trying to find people, hired a couple of new floor staff at the Red uh, Lockhart. We've been lucky, we found two new chefs. Um, but we've kept everybody and we've got a really good staff retention. But yeah, I think it's just going to, man, I'd hate to be one of those big operators, six, seven sites. Look, it was a pizzeria, uh, pizza, sorry, Pizza Express. They're looking for a thousand people and there's no one here. Uh, yeah, they've lost, the, they'll, have, they'll have had a high percentage, I imagine, of sort of overseas staff that have gone home and, and, and now can't get back. And you know what's happened? These people have sat at home, they've probably reassessed their lives and thought, you know what, I've actually got a social life back now. I want to, I could have a Saturday night off and go and see people. So why don't I get a job as a delivery driver or go and work for Ricardo or something like that? I can make just as much money and without all the stress of dealing with drunk, rude people. It's interesting, actually, and, and we were having a discussion earlier with a group of operators around this topic, and, and one of them was making a point, you know, actually, if you factor in tips and, and you, you put a service charge on and you pay that to the start, you know, you can make a lot more money yeah. than, than being a delivery driver for Ricardo or, or, mm. or Amazon, but... Uh, you've still got the proper powers, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah which is, which is going to be difficult. We're in. I mean, James, what's been your experience? Uh, we, didn't really, we picked up a couple of great guys, as he said, in the kitchen. Um, but they've come from, you know, local places. They got screwed over, didn't they? Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is where the good, you know, those that... If I was, you know, going for an interview, you'd want to ask how your employer dealt with the staff during the lockdowns you know what did you do what was it because as much as it all seems to be a one-way street with you know with uh, interviews you just employing the uh, the new member but I think you know push back and ask how you know what they did and I think there's some that just come out really badly I mean really behaved terribly um, and just expected to, to bid them on day one and ask them to come back smiling when it suited them and it doesn't play and that's the thing with our industry you know when you're recruiting typically either geographically or of the same age group work gets around and a good, we, we have a list of people that we could go to to work here because they earn good money, conditions are good, they get fed. You know, we really do... Good-looking bosses. Get on, you know, and that's probably... the I should, should have said that first, really. But, yeah, we have employed new people because we've had to um, to look at compliance and all the bits that we've been asked to do, rightly, mm-hmm. um, which is just you going to Waitrose and it just says, clean your own trolley and there's no-one doing it, yeah, you know? That's the thing, though, like, the amount of people you need to run it's a service. It's an yeah. Do you know what I mean? Checking people in... It's bullshit. I mean, that Waitrose thing has seriously upset you, hasn't it, Jen? Because I think you've mentioned it about 18 times in the last hour. Is this where you had to clean your own trolley? Well, no, no. The responsibility is on the person leaving the trolley. So basically, you've done your shopping, pick up your bags and off you go, right? So they're they're asking that person to disinfect their trolley. After they've done their shopping? Yeah, Yeah, for the next person. But they're not interested. If they ask you to do it before you went in, you get it. Of course, you know you want to sanitise it down for what, 60 seconds for it's 
if it works, that stuff. But they're asking you to do it for the person that they don't know who's going to get. I just think John Lewis have a responsibility to do that. You know what I mean? John Lewis. Mm. Well, John Lewis part. Yeah, 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 I thought that I thought John Lewis was like not very good anymore because uh, Boris's girlfriend yeah. doesn't like John Lewis. <laughs> it's um, it's just I just annoyed me because. And, and, but the guy said, um, I said to the manager, I was just in that sort of mood. And he said, no, no, but downstairs on the ground floor we sanitise them down there and I was like so Covid doesn't you know doesn't exist doesn't travel and, you know, level one up. Well, we've seen that with what's going on in Scotland yeah. Covid yeah. doesn't exist after 8 o'clock no it doesn't exist if you don't drink indoors then it's yeah. fine the moment you touch a pint and stay beyond 8 o'clock then you're screwed I think this will go when you look when people look at this historically I think generations come will just not believe it will not believe we went through what we've been through and how we've been well, there'll be no alcohol left. We'll all be zombies. We'll all be taking some sort of genetically enhanced drug that gives us a high. We know alcohol. There'll be no fun Ooh, left. No one will have is. fun. No one will be having babies because no one will be drunk enough to have sex. Um, that's, mate, that's enough about your life. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was thinking more of like Ed. <laughs> He's only got two kids as well. Anyway, um... <laughs> You're just right. derailed that train of thought entirely <laughs> there. So, I mean, let's, let's look, let's get back to the point. We're talking about, you know, staffing issues and problems. You know, what have been the biggest problems restarting for you guys? What, re- us restarting? With with regard to staff. I think the biggest problem, I think, I think it's just getting them back in the, the groove of working. But looking at what other operators are going to have to challenge, I think training, getting people trained, know what they're doing. You're going to spend so much energy. Imagine if you had to retrain, train 20 people to go and work in your business and never worked in it before. And what a disaster that is. Mm. Particularly, it's not just the, it's not just the craft of the business. It's now all the compliance stuff. You've got yeah. this additional. So it's not even that it's the same challenge as before. You've got them coming back a bit brain dead, frankly, um, and you ask them to do more than ever before. Yeah. And, and real responsibility. I mean, you might enforce some business we've had. It's been ridiculous. You know, 5.30, we had EHO in on, on Friday at 5.30. I mean, do, do behave, you know. Wait, oh, but, 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 but you just, you, you have goes back to that. Thing, like, what are they, like, there's, they don't like us. They don't. They don't like you. That's fair enough. But, you know, I think, I think, start, you know, like, it's going to be tough because they're not, they're not game fit. They're coming in. They're probably a bit pissed off that we're going to Saturday night now when they could be out with their mates in the park. Mm. You know, I think it's you know we've really got to make it you know a career that people want to be in. Well, we're going to be we're going to be talking about that later with with Kate Nichols on um, about sort of how we can improve the uh, reputation and image and. Uh, I, I, but you got, we're going to we're going to lose at the current rate what the government's working to and how they're acting with us. We're going to lose so many hospitality businesses, mm-hmm. and we're going to make it undesirable for people to work in those businesses. So, I don't know, what, like, what's going to be left mm. to go out? Like, what, we're just going to be, you know, what, we're going to be served by robots? Like, what the hell? I don't know. Yeah, you could say the industry talent pool is going to shrink so oh, much man. as people find other career paths. I mean, that is the thing. There's, there's been lots of people have been exploring sort of other options in there. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking again earlier today about sort of last minute resignation. So people that have previously said, yeah, yeah, I'm coming back, coming back. Yeah. And yeah. then at the point of coming back, going, yeah, you know what, actually, take my mind. Yeah, thank I don't you really thank want you to. Yeah, thanks. I'll uh, enjoy my life at the moment. Which... Furlough, furlough, you know what I mean? Honestly, it's opium. It's a bad drug for these people. These young kids, people in general, it's been, it had, you know, it should have been less money. It should have been, you know, it should have been made to incentivize them to get back to work. Um, why would you, you know, 80% sit at home? 
Jeez. I mean, the the other thing of furlough as well is that it's it has had a, a sort of a retardation effect on people moving as well, hasn't it? So yeah. you've seen people staying put because they don't want to start a new job because then they won't be eligible yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for furlough. As that falls away, you may, I mean, I'm saying, not saying this necessarily you, Heath, because you've retained all your people, but <coughs> only you. Um, that furlough fear falls away. People think, actually, no, now is the time to move. You may start to see people really shifting about. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably a pent-up demand for that. Mm. And they understand why people wouldn't do it. You know, you would you'd err on the side of course you get a mortgage and all the rest of it. But I think, but I think the thing is, like, you know, especially if you're like, you, a lot of people fall into this career. I mean, you know what I mean? They end up suddenly, they, it's not suddenly they finish university, they don't know what they do, and suddenly they enjoy it and they get caught up in the lifestyle. Like, oh, it's amazing. You spent the last year at home mm. and going out, like, just doing stuff, and you, mm. you reassessed your life, and you're thinking, you know what, actually, maybe I'll go to university again, maybe I'll go and do that, maybe I'll change, you know, because it's not a healthy, healthy lifestyle, you know, I want to go and do that. And suddenly all these people are falling away, and they've gone back to their own countries and stuff, and suddenly, you know, like, like you said, you're getting adverts while people are applying for jobs, and, you know, Lahore, Pakistan and stuff like you know but then again they've got to earn what to come here they've got to earn a minimum of what 36k a year and, and the uh, somebody was pointing out this morning that, that uh, you know that's, that's dependent on how well Sterling's doing you know all these guys that came over from Eastern Europe and were working here yeah. you know they came here for the money it was good money but the moment Sterling drops they're, they're taking a huge pay cut aren't they yeah. so well, a lot of them are trading on the currency you know keep a pound for themselves and 50, 50p would go back to their home country and that would that was it but you know now the world's changed and something it's not like working in grey England and cold and wet all the time isn't as appealing as you know potentially living in Sicily and obviously the minimum wage went up as well didn't it that, that, yeah. that nicked yeah. in the other day that's another on cost you know you have to employ more people mm. so you've got less to go at but having to employ more people so it's not you know it doesn't feel to pay but good this is it the, the support package all that I know the government say when we spoke to What's his name? Paul Scully. Oh, I wasn't supposed to, you know, help do that. In the rest of Europe, it did. But all the support we've had hasn't been adequate enough to keep a lot of businesses going. And we're going to lose a lot of independent businesses because this government doesn't care about us. But also, I think they've, you've they've, not they've, said that enough on this no, episode. No, but it's fucking true, though. They, they really wind me up. But they've all worked the same. If you think about it, I think the system's been completely played. And it's from the grassroots. You've had the guys out there that have taken furlough to the last day they can take it. And like you said, whether they decided to put a towel in the day after. You also have businesses that have taken uh, their grants and not fed them down to the suppliers. So mm. the stimulation that was supposed to happen hasn't happened. Mm. And they've let their suppliers go to the wall or made settlements and been, you know, really poor with that. And they need to be called out. Um, and the other guys that have taken the, the loans, you know, the um, the startup yeah. loans or the, the you bounce, know, bounce backs and all that, and will just fold the business. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's a real, I think they're going to have a real hard job on their hands, picking these, you know, getting to these people. They must be found out and they must be caught to Man, the government's got like, honestly, they've got bigger fish fry. It seems everybody, all the all the news media is more worried about is bloody what Boris Lampshady bought. You know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> do you know, this government needs to be held for account. They, they, these guys tried to and it didn't work. But you know, we're really, like, honestly, we're really on our own. We've got to, it's, you know, survival. I mean, one, one of the issues that, that, that I've heard talked about is, is, and we'll probably talk a little bit about this later in terms of more flexibility and things like that, but the reality of flexibility is you'll need more staff. So if you were going to say people want better work-life balance, for example, so they don't want to work certain times, they don't want to work longer shifts, they want to work shorter hours, all this kind of thing, you're going to need more people. So then we need, then we need like... 
tax that equates to that to support to employ more people, keep the VAT lower. It worked in France when they dropped VAT. More people they employed businesses employed more people because they're making more money. Keep that lower. Support us financially, you know, give us give us those benefits and let us create a lifestyle. The problem is we just get taxed to shit. Do you know what I mean? You don't want to hire new people. We've always like, oh God. And we have to put our prices up and the customers have to understand what a pint truly costs. Instead of us trying to be out compete each other to be, you know, to do pints at a certain price. The reality of the cost of a pint, if we if they gave us decent tax breaks and let us sell pints at a decent price, would be okay. But we're all there. We, we, for years, we've all been not priced our, our businesses correctly. I think we've all undercharged, and you know we're worried about our business. Now people are coming back and having to put their prices up, even with the VAT reduction stuff, to try and survive. But I think for too long we've been too cheap, and the customers have yeah. taken advantage of that. And it's time to recorrect that and say, you know, if you want to go out and have a good time, it actually costs money. This isn't Magaloo from 1995. You're not on the beach drinking pound beers. The world's changed. But the perception still, and this is the problem, is it? And it's not how by headlines in the Daily Mail saying prices are going up and all this kind of thing. But the perception is that it is expensive to drink in pubs versus drinking from a... And and more people died with alcohol-related deaths during lockdown than they did when pubs were open. So we're more responsible. We get taxed more. Tax the supermarkets more then. Make it buying a drink in a supermarket a lot more than drying at the pub. Mm. Buying a pint in a supermarket should be more expensive if you want to control it. You know what I mean? We're, mm. we're licensed. We're, we're regulated. Yeah. yeah, we are. We look after people. We make sure they're okay. But this government seems to think we're the bad guys selling bloody drugs across the bar. It needs to be changed. So the to message change. should be just let us do our jobs. Let us do our jobs. No, give us a, no, give us a level playing field. Yeah, but yeah, Give us a exactly. unit ground gold price. You know, let's, yeah. have, let's have parity. And then, if they really care about the health agenda, then that's what they do to do that. But it ain't going to happen in a million and, years. And look at business rates properly. Look at them properly. Stop the, you know, the, people don't drink as much. We know that as before. We're, we're done on turnover, not a square footage. Give us a level playing field with the restaurants and stuff. You know? Well, we, we wandered slightly off topic there, but... Uh, We're talking about uh, Waitrose. You have um, told us about oh, Waitrose, right, yes. Yeah, thank you, James. Yeah, yeah, what happened so. at Waitrose? <laughs> <laughs> they sold out a gluten-free bread. You're really upset. It's <laughs> <laughs> my gluten-free bread! <laughs> I want <laughs> my extended cut! <laughs> <laughs> and no one's cleaned my trolley. Yeah. And I'm just going to leave that one there. This is the Lock-In Podcast and we're going to look north now. We've recently seen the Scottish sector reopening up and we've got top chef and pub operator Tom Kitchen on the line to talk about his experiences. Welcome, Tom. Hi, good morning. Good to have you on. So you're open and you're even allowed to have people inside as long as they don't have a drink and leave by 8pm. So, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on the restrictions up there? Uh, well... Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, I'm hugely frustrated by this. Um, um, it's just, it's just one thing after the other, isn't it? I just feel that the people who are making up these uh, these rules are just they're not connecting with the people of the in, of the industry, and um, it's nobody really knows what's going on. I mean, you've been open. Did you open at the start? How long have you been operating? Yeah, so we've been open for one week now. Um, so yeah, we opened. We opened immediately. Um, we opened. We're only left with three properties just now. Our five at the start of lockdown. Right. Um, two of them have 
outside space because you can you can actually you're allowed to drink alcohol outside, right. but you are not allowed to drink alcohol indoors. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, wh- why is that? Is it is it that much more hazardous indoors <laughs> than than outdoors? Yeah, that's a slightly baffling, uh, slightly baffling one. I mean, you know, you know, us Scots, we, you know, we don't like to have a drink. Um, <laughs> you know, so yeah, basically, everyone can stand outside, drink as much as they like, kiss, hug, and they can come indoors to use the toilet. But if you have your dinner indoors, you are most definitely not allowed to have a glass of wine with your meal in a nice. It's it's interesting. Well, um, Tom down here, we had. A really poor weekend weather-wise here, so I can only imagine what it's like every day up there. <laughs> like, Aye, but that's the thing with Scotland; the weather changes by like two minutes. Exactly. You what know, do you do with them? What do you, you do with them? You can't the bring them in. Within about you know one one afternoon. So again, you know, it's been absolutely keen with rain for the last few days. So yeah. we lost all of the bank holiday. Um, it's hugely frustrating, you know. I think um, you're, you share the frustration of us down here. We just don't feel there's any. Um, seat at the top table so that you know, basically decision makers really aren't connecting with anyone in hospitality um, just seems no common sense particularly when they stopped down here the takeaway piece it was just just mm. no yeah sense. I mean it just it just feels like it's, it's decisions that have been made with no explanation I mean the rates are so low here in Scotland mm. they're so low you know we're a much lesser population obviously than down south mm. and you know enough is enough you know our, our our businesses dire, dire trouble. We're going to be mass redundancy, you know, with the furloughs. Our suppliers are on the, and it's just a really, really situation. I mean, just don't think that we're getting a fair. I mean, one of the things I, I mean, I looked, I had a quick glance through the restrictions and and the rules there. I mean, they are ridiculously complicated. Um, I mean, it, it, you need a sort of degree in sort of nonsense to work out what half of them mean. There, there's so many different levels, and and even if you get to level zero, you're still basically operating at, at such a reduced capacity. It, it's insane. I mean, do, do you understand them? They keep they keep moving the goalposts on what the tiers are. Because really, we should be in tier two or tier one just now. But no, we're tier three. Even though the cases on their original section were that we were we were ready to go. Mm. I mean, are you, are you optimistic that, that things may improve, that things may change? Or do you think there's, um, as, as some of us feel down here, that there's a little bit of a, a sort of anti-alcohol, anti-hospitality agenda up there? Oh, I, absolutely. I do think there's, a, there's, a, there's a, I do think there's an anti-alcohol feel. I do feel that, that the speaking hospitality is second-hand industry, um, which is chronic. You know, in Scotland for, for decades and decades, British government, Scottish government have been shouting about Scotland, this great destination of hospitality, good use, you know, welcoming people. But there will be nothing here. You know? For, for many years, we were the laughing stock of Europe for, you, for our like, deep fried Mars bars and you know <laughs> chippies and all that stuff. And finally, now we're, we're on the map as a, a really not only a beautiful country to visit and destination, but also a really foodie and you know um, great hospitality destination all over Scotland. But there will be no small independence left. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, what, what have been the biggest challenges for you in, in this first week of, of, of operating then? The APM closer is just beyond the, beyond the job. It, you know, even if I have to live with the no alcohol for the next few weeks, okay, right. But can someone explain to me why I need to throw my customers out and make them leave by 8pm while they will not serve an alcohol? What's the difference in letting them enjoy their meal until 11 o'clock and, and allowing us to generate some more turnover? And it's important that I stress this is about me wondering about them. This is me trying to speak up for Scotland as a whole hospitality. Some kitchen will be fine. Some, you know, my restaurant will be busy. I'm very lucky. But there's many, many. Why 8 o'clock at night? What 8 o'clock at night when we're not even serving alcohol? It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, you should, you know, the kitchen is an instant restaurant. Hmm. We start lunch midday. We finish lunch 3 o'clock. First, in again, sit down at 4.30. Oof. <laughs> I just want to say I just want to put my hand up to you know my customers who are actually you know going that extra mile coming for dinner at 4 but you see the tables that are booked at 6 o'clock you know so this is they come in here it comes on tomorrow's two tasty menus 6 o'clock I'm just like that Poor people. It's just like speaking. Yeah, I mean because we've got we got to throw them out at eight o'clock. <laughs> do, they, do they actually have to leave the building at eight o'clock? Absolutely. <sighs> Not even. It's just bollocks. It's madness, it? isn't it? Uh, it's, it's just unbelievable. It, it just feels like it just feels like some civil servants have done it off the back of a fag packet. Uh, yeah. well, there's definitely an agenda there. Definitely an agenda with hospitality. They don't like. Oh, just, oh, just explain it to us. Yeah. They can have them climbed all over each other to get to something in a supermarket. You know, supermarket, they're yeah. not even doing check and trace. The waitress the other day, they were asking you to clean your own trolley. Yeah, but the, the supermarket's open later. Yeah. The store's open later. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you, you said you've got people coming out. I mean, what, what is demand like, Tom? Are you, are you still getting people that still want to come and eat inside? Or, or are you seeing people just saying, you know what, let's leave it for the moment? Yeah, of course. We have some incredible regular customers. We have people who are coming, but no shut, no getting away from the fact. Look at the booking from the 17th of May, mm. when we still don't officially know what that involves here in Scotland. You might get to late 30, yeah. 8.30 or something. <laughs> no, it's, it, yes, no, I, I think we'll put it to 10 p.m. closer. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Which again is baffling and just. It's just another, it's just another fireball to deal with. But it's it's like just the, the constant changing, the constant changing, having to deal with it, you know, like, all the, you know, we've got customers who have been this week, who have changed their booking, like, 12 times, from, mm. because of all the different restrictions over the, over the mm. It's almost like give you something else and expect you to be grateful for it. Yeah, yeah, scraps off the table. Another hour. Yeah, thank you. And, and we're, we're talking in this in this episode, Tom, about sort of staffing and recruitment as well. I mean, what, what's your experience uh, up there? How, how are you finding sort of uh, retaining people and recruiting at the moment? Yeah, again, that's, that's a big problem. That's a big problem. I mean, the furlough, 
as a company, the service is costing seventy grand a month. Wow, seventy grand a month coming in, and then you know, a small minority of the staff, at the end, you know, now we're ready to go back. They're like, well, you know, I think I'm going to go and do this. But, you know, very, very frustrating. Very, mm-hmm. very frustrating. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a lot of soldiers in there as well. And, you know, without the whole company, within the whole company, but I've got some amazing people who are just you know, rolling up their sleeves and just getting stuck in. It's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, brilliant. Okay, well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for, Tom. But thanks very much for joining us, and uh, and good luck. Hopefully, good luck. those restrictions will uh, will start to ease, Play and well. you can get back to uh, best of luck doing to what's you. best. Yeah, best of luck. Take care, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. You're listening to the Lock In podcast with myself, Ed Bennington, Heath Ball, and James Cuthbertson. We're talking staffing and all the challenges around that in this week's episode. And we've got special guest Jill Whitaker from Hit Training joining us now to talk about the challenges around training and retention. Jill, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. It's lovely to see you, Ed. You too, you too. So talk us through from your perspective. What are you seeing in terms of demand for training with the industry's restarting? Um, how, how is that sort of impacting on, on what people are doing when it comes to training? I think we're seeing people wanting training for different types of things. So over the last year or so, um, I mean, we were fortunate that we'd already gone online with a lot of our development work um, and we were able to carry on supporting all the people that were already on our programme. So that was pretty cool. Um, and we actually saw a huge amount of engagement throughout all of the lockdowns with the learners that we work with, the employers we work with, which um, I, don't, I don't know if every other training provider has seen that, but we certainly have. One of the things that I think people have found of interest um, and we're doing a lot more courses on is um, first aid for mental health. Um, mental health is, has been a, a very big issue for a lot of our clients. Um, and so we're doing, well, we've literally done thousands of those courses in the last year and the demand for it is, is still getting greater every day. Um, I think one of the other things we've seen as well is particular roles where there are challenges in recruitment at the moment. And I think it's not just about COVID, you know, we've got the Brexit effect here as well. So a lot of people went back to, um, to their own countries to lock down and have stayed there. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of that. So particular roles throughout industry, so the breadth of the hospitality industry, a lot of the chef issue was always a problem, as we all know. Mm. Um, and that that I was I was with um, a group of HR directors last week, and they were all saying that is just getting worse. Um, so there are a lot of a lot of employers are investing in skills to upskill their existing staff. Um, and to get them to be able to do those jobs they used to previously import from overseas. Is is there a a bit of panic around that, do you think? Are people starting to sort of think, oh, God, we we haven't anticipated this and now we're having to sort of desperately upscale? I mean, Heath, you're you're sort of saying yes. Yeah, I think so. I think people people thought they'd just close and reopen and maybe get rid of a lot of the staff and just rehire and didn't really take into account Brexit. And I think we've seen that, you know, placing adverts online and looking for staff. There's no one around. Mm-hmm. But also those that treated the, their, their uh, employees badly, just laid yeah. them off on day one. Yeah. And they're asking them with a smile to come back. And you, you're forgiven for them to think, no, screw it. No way. I picked up some good chefs because they got screwed over by their previous employer. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and a lot of the HRDs I'm talking to are saying that you know they you can't get it for love and money. You know, and, and literally they are going out. Well, I don't know whether they're literally going out there with the love, but they're certainly going out there with the money. And you know, some of the salaries that we're seeing being offered for people relatively inexperienced chefs. Mm kind of bonkers really so there's, there's a big piece of work to do there in terms of you know you recruiting people who want to be trained and want to train up and you know, giving some really yeah proper intensives they're a pain in the arse anyway let alone give them give them more power <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, yeah. give them more power about scarcity more, really more money trouble. i had one yeah. of my junior guys just leave recently like commie chef and he got offered a lot of money to go and be a sous chef somewhere mm. and i'm like man you can't even make mayonnaise no. like what are you going to be doing there you know, not he's got paid more money. Yeah, not making money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need more money. <laughs> <laughs> I think that whole chef thing is really interesting, though, because our clients, this is an ongoing conversation, right? I mean, this isn't new. No. This isn't to do with COVID. This has been going on since time immemorial. I was talking to um, uh, one of our lovely friends who's got a, a lovely restaurant, a restaurant sort of bar, pub, the whole thing up in the Midlands. And he would say that, you know, people will come to work for him and say that they're a pub chef and then they walk into the kitchen and say well, where's the microwave mm. you know, they, that's all they know yeah. I mean how to make mayonnaise I don't think they know what mayonnaise is yeah. some of these except that you know he's having to pay these high salaries to try and get somebody who isn't really that good so I think there's a, there's, there's a piece of work that we need to do as an industry around that to say you know let's get these people properly skilled up let's mm. let's give ourselves a Make it a job that people want to do because a lot of people do want to do it. It's a great job, actually. You know, well, you're, I've, I've done it myself and I loved it. And you know, and, and upskill people invest in them uh, and they stick around a little bit longer when you when you when you do that and they show loyalty. You know? I mean, is it is it the problem? I mean, this is we've talked about this numerous times. That sort of the, the and I don't want to get into the younger generation debate, but there is that sort of a, the desire to move much faster uh, amongst younger people, isn't there? That sort of they're in the job for a week and it's why haven't I been promoted? Is that oh, is that part? Of it? Do you know any younger people? I, I don't know. No, I'm just making it up. It's what he told me earlier. So. <laughs> you sound like old father time, mate. Yeah. <laughs> But is that, is, I mean, is that fair or is that not fair? Do you think there's a degree of people want to move? I don't necessarily mean young people, but generally there is a, a trend of, you know, everything has to happen much quicker. Yeah, but I think you can make jobs interesting, you know, and if if you're willing to take people on and you recognise that perhaps they only want to work with you for six months and then they want to go off and, you know, teach kite surfing in Ibiza or something, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's put that to one side. But, you know, recognising that and instead of going, oh, God, I'm only going to be here six months and then he's going to be off, find a way of employing those people that suits their lifestyle as well as suits the job that you've got for them. You know, that, that's, we work some of the employers we work with are really brilliant at that. Mm. And they have that loyalty with those staff. They come back year after year after year. So I think sometimes we've just got to be a bit more flexible in our approach rather than, you know, that whole... I think we're in an interesting time because we've like that would I'd say normally yeah that'd be great to be that free thinking but I think we've all come back the industry's just been battered by COVID and by the government restrictions and yeah. as an operator you're just like man I just need to get back in the game I need to be making money and it's really survival right now and trying to get people on board and you know we're, we're really 
it's it's we're hard up against it. Everyone's just really feeling it. And I think, it, you know, we're going to need a couple six months to sort of get bed in and get everybody back to normal before we can start thinking about okay, how can I make this a better atmosphere for everybody? Because we just right now. But do, it's you, about do, you, do you have that? I mean, Jill, what do you think to that? Do, does Heath have the luxury of, of telling people to essentially? And let me paraphrase this, Heath, but suck it up for now, and I'll be nice to you in six months' time. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, but one thing we've done is we've stuck by all our staff. Everybody was either working or on furlough. And, you know, and now we've just paid out holiday and we've, you know, from last year, we've, they've been well looked after. It's time, It's not time to be like rat and cotton wool and told it's all going to be okay. It's time to get the hustle on now and actually let's, you know, really fight for your job survival. Because, yeah, we need to, the, the business needs to be protected at all costs. I think people recognise that, though. I think, I think you've banged on the money there, and I think people recognise that. But you're coming from a position of somebody who, who has done that right thing, who has kept their staff on, who's looked after them, who's nurtured them a bit, probably kept... I mean, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth here, but I mean, imagining that you've, you've put job. a bit of time into... Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> but you, you have put a bit of time into, you know, talking to these people and, oh, you know, got, and keeping got, into... We've got ridiculously high staff retention across all the sites because we, we communicate, yeah, we look after them. Up? They're frightened of you. <laughs> yeah, they've all got tags. They've all got tags, yeah. yeah. But you yeah, look after our people, do you know? Yeah, and I, think, and I think you've just hit the nail squarely on the head there. You look after your people. Mm. So you're in a different position to somebody who perhaps hasn't looked after their people quite so well. Um, I mean, it doesn't make it any easier, clearly. You know, this is, it's a tough, very tough time for everybody. But, you know, those employers who do look after their staff, who show them loyalty, um, and, you know, and, and invest in their skills to some extent as well, you know, that relationship is a different one to the people who, you know, I, I think of it as the leaky bucket. You know, there's an awful lot of leaky bucket employers out there who would used to be able to get as many staff as they wanted, didn't really treat them particularly well, had a massive attrition rate, but it didn't really matter that much because you could always get somebody else. Yeah. Whereas actually, you know, we can't, we've, we've got to plug the holes in that bucket and the way to do it is by looking after your people. So, yeah, as you say, you know, bang on. Yeah. I think consumers expect more now. So I think you need that consistency and that training to deliver to those expectations. But I also think as a trade, we're really bad at talking about the importance of training. And and it's still widely, the, the level of service you get in the pub industry is pretty poor, I would say. But you've got industry leaders like um, Keith Knowles that have been trying to change this for years. But the truth is the people that moan about it aren't actually doing anything about it. They don't, you know, there's, there's many big companies they'll, that if you're working in a pub as a smart 18-year-old and you're going on to, you know, other things in your career, you leave the pub industry having been invested no time, no training, so you have a pretty dim view of it. And they're the next set of parents that look at their kids and say, I want yeah. to get in the pub trade. And yeah. then they would come back to, well, actually, I was in the pub trade a bit and it was shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we've got a lot to do. I think we've got a long way to go. Yeah, I think, I mean, you say that, but actually, I mean, some of our clients are doing really brilliant stuff. Mm. You know, they are showing people who come into the industry, whatever age, um, they're showing them a career path. You know, if you want to be the very best barman, then we're going to help you be that person. But if you've got aspirations to, to run your own pub one day, or if you've got aspirations to be a one of our um, uh, BGM or, you know, or, or on the board of directors, then, you know, we're going to help you to just be the best that you can be. There's, there's, honestly, there is a big volume. I know we talk it down, but actually there's a big volume of really brilliant employers out there who really do do the right thing. But as you say, there are still others who don't. And, and that's the message is, you know, if you're going to be competitive, 
you've, yeah. you've, you've, got to, you've got to look after your people. Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm just conscious of, of time, Jill. I'm, I mean, one last sort of piece of what what would be your best advice to operators at the moment when it comes to uh, to, to ensuring your, your training and retaining people? Uh, be completely straight with all of your staff, talk to them, tell them exactly where you are as an organisation and a business. Um, tell them that if, if for the people you want to stick with you, tell them that. You know, be straight with them. Let them know that, you know, let them feel the love. Um, and if they want to be developed and be looked after, then absolutely fantastic. And they will stick with you. Some of them will move on. But you know what? If they move on and stay in the industry, then you've, you've done something good for the broader industry. That's the core thing as well, isn't it? It's, it's that old adage, isn't it, where people used to say, you know, what's the point of training? Because I'll train them and they'll move on. And the, and the comeback simply is, well, what if they don't move on? And you're stuck with that. Yeah, so, absolutely. And that is always one. I mean, I was talking to Steve Olson at BII about this the other week. It's like, you know, I've, I've been doing this for 20 some odd years. And I still every now and then get an employer who will say to me, um, yeah, well, you know, I don't, I don't train my staff to move on. And there was that piece, what was it Branson said? That, you know, train your staff to be absolutely brilliant. Train them so well that everybody else wants to employ them, but look after them so that they only want to work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. Okay, Joe, well, that's all we've got time for, but thank you very much for that. Cheers. Nice to you. Lovely. Bye. Great Cheers. to see you guys. Cheers. Take care. Cheers. This is the Lock In Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share on social. We're talking about the recruitment crisis in this week's episode and we've got hospitality royalty on now in the form of UK Hospitality's Kate Nichols. Thanks for joining us, Kate. Excuse me, thanks for having me. You were so shocked by <coughs> Sorry that. Sorry about that. So it's throwing uh, you. That's, that's all right. Um, one of the things that, that, that struck me in all the conversations we've been having this week is that the problems we're facing aren't particularly new. If anything, the pressure that the uh, crisis has made or put on the industry has just made those cracks wider, uh, particularly when we're looking at sort of recruitment and, and the sector's appeal to uh, to employees. So what we want to do to chat about in this session is how we address those cracks, how we make the pub and bar industry a more appealing place to work. So, I mean, Kate, from, from your perspective, I mean, what are you seeing at the moment? Moment. Is, is it, we're, we're hearing a lot of problems or a lot of people saying recruitment is challenging at the moment. I, I think it is a challenging environment at the moment because it's a unique set of circumstances. But as so much about the industry at the present point in time, it's not a consistent picture. So there are parts of the country where it's particularly acute. There are also certain roles where it's particularly acute. There are other parts of the country where there are you know, hundreds, thousands of people applying for jobs. Um, and vacancies where, where there isn't that recruitment challenge. So what we're seeing at the moment is is, is twofold and it, it comes down to a large number of the industry opening simultaneously. So, so you've got uh, workers that are being brought back off furlough and you're unwinding furlough and people are finding that, that you know, that they're not going to come back to work. Um, but that's a relatively small proportion. And then simultaneously you've got venues that are looking to recruit for the first time because Although we made a large number of people redundant during the course of COVID, we had a significant amount more of natural wastage. People who left and jobs weren't fulfilled and seasonal workers weren't stood up. So actually the head count is 660,000 lower. The number of redundancies is about 300,000. So actually we've got a shortfall. Um, 
when we've surveyed our members, uh, about 85% of workers who are on furlough are coming back to, to their roles. That leaves a significant minority across the industry as a whole 15%, but it's up as high as 30, 40% in places like London and the Southeast, where we're finding that workers are not wanting to back into hospitality. Um, and really, there's, there's four main reasons, but they all come back down to confidence, really. Um, there are foreign workers who, who went home during the start of the crisis, but also at Christmas, um, and they're not coming back, or they're stuck abroad with travel restrictions. You've got university students who are literally in the wrong place for their seasonal jobs and, and their term time jobs. Uh, you've got people who are nervous about coming back to hospitality and coming off furlough because they want to have more of a full-time role. And then you've got the people we're looking to recruit who, again, not confident that the sector is going to be open fully and trading as normally as possible. And, and a lot of it does come down to that lack of certainty around the conditions under which we will be operating that make it really difficult to provide that long-term career opportunity to, to extol the benefits of a career in hospitality to people who you're trying to recruit. Um, so we are in a sort of slight pinch point. Do you, do you think that's that's quite significant? I mean, we've talked about um, the fact that people are a little reluctant to start a new job because you know, if we do end up with another lockdown, they're not going to be able to apply for furlough. I mean, and I guess all those other uncertainties, is, is that is that something you're picking up as a, as a significant sort of... I don't know, a, we are, a blocker of yeah, people coming in. We are picking that up. You know, there, there are a lot of sectors of the economy, travel, tourism, retail, where people have been made redundant or, or where jobs are being phased out. But they're having to make that leap of faith to come over to hospitality. And the fact that, you know, you can't be put back on furlough, you're losing that part-time furlough opportunity and, and that job security. Um, it, it is causing a lot of anxiety. And equally, what we're hearing is we don't yet know whether hospitality can reopen fully. You know, we haven't had that confirmation of 17th of May. We certainly haven't had the conversation around 21st of, of June. And for anybody who worked in hospitality last summer, they know they didn't get their full hours. You know, we scheduled about 60% of normal hours. Um, and so until we've got that, those restrictions lifted, they can't know for certainty about what their job prospects are. And we can't tell them with certainty what their, their rotor and their scheduling will be. So, so that, that lack of confidence, coupled with the fact that, you know, people keep thinking, well, maybe we'll go back into another lockdown, that negativity that creeps into the media debate, um, again, makes it difficult to, to choose proactively hospitality, and that's coming through a lot. Um, and we're hearing it from people who are recruiting through DWP and Springboard and places like that. I mean, the the the, the restrictions and the crisis and everything aside, you know, we we we've, we've had a little bit of a challenge generally, isn't it? When we've come to recruiting, we we we've had this problem of you know passing the mum and dad test, all that kind of thing, and people sort of saying, I want to go into hospitality. And, being pushed away from it by parents and things like that. You know, do we do we have an image problem? Is that exacerbating this situation? Um, I think undoubtedly it does for some of the roles where we know we've got real shortages. So in hospitality at the moment, we're acutely short of door, door supervisors and security, housekeepers and the sort of kitchen porters, the back of house. Those are the areas we, we know we've got real challenges and, and they are without doubt the, the sort of entry level jobs. Um, I think we've got less of a challenge if we capitalise on it properly. Um, the British public has just realised and gone through six months of realising how difficult it is to make themselves a really good cup of coffee, how difficult and, and time-consuming it is to, to cook good quality food from scratch. So I think there's a greater appreciation 
combination of what we do and the experience side of it, um, we just need to, to sort of work harder to overcome that. And I think it's picking up the, the work that we started pre-pandemic about training, uh, structured apprenticeships, extolling the benefits of the career and the progression that people can have, particularly amongst young people. And we have got a unique opportunity. There's a lot of young people who've had two years worth of disrupted education um, who are coming out and are likely to be um, have, have fewer work experience on their CV. You know, work experience and, and internships have been cancelled over the last two years. So they are looking for those transferable skills and we need to make that plea to them to come to us and the transferable skills they'll get, even if they don't want to have a career in, in hospitality, they can, can come and get those transferable skills and the, those social skills. You've got young people who've been at missing school for two years who won't have basic socialization, timekeeping, um, all of those skills that the hospitality can teach you. So I just think it's about packaging the message up in a different way for the post-COVID environment. I mean, just coming to you and James, Heath and James, I mean, are you, what, what do you expect? I mean, how do you make the job more appealing? I mean, we talked earlier with Jill Whitaker, Heath, and you were, you were basically sort of saying people just have to suck it up for six months because <laughs> it's tough out there. I mean, that's not going to really do what we're talking about. Quite inspiring, isn't it? Wasn't it? <laughs> it was, I was inspired. I was hugely inspired. I, 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 but I, you know what I mean, though? I think, I think what I was trying to say was, like, if you start, we kept everybody on and they've come back. We... Don't whine about it. Like we've looked after you. Let's just get on. We've got it's that's a, a slogan si that's going to stick, isn't yeah, it? Don't whine. Just we've got a six months ahead of us. Probably a year. It's still going to be hard work. I, mm. Like we can't we can't dress it up and make it look pretty right now. So so I guess then in that then go on, James, sorry. isn't that about transparency? And I think when they come back, they've got to know that it's been hard. You can't sugarcoat it. Whilst they may have been wrapped up in you know eighty percent furlough payments and a reduction in maybe outgoing, so maybe the. the it's been a, maybe a challenging mental year for them, but fiscally it's been okay. But actually, the business has, you know, everyone's accrued debt, everyone's had a hard time. I don't think there's any harm in, in being really honest to say, guys, we're in the trenches for six months. You know, we need to really mm. get this back. And we may get kicked again because there may be another lockdown. I think that transparency of, of the honesty and the problems and honestly. Yeah. So should, should, we, should we then be worrying about the reputation and the image of the industry at the moment, Kate, do you think? Or should we be just going, look, we've just got to get through, get back up, get running, and then start doing I, I the fluffy bunny Kate, stuff? I think, what Kate I think we, have to, we have to talk positively about the industry. We have to capitalise on the fact that there's a huge amount of goodwill out there towards our sector from the consumers. And the, the consumers are our potential workers. And there are opportunities for, for them to come through. And, and I think that that's where I think we can, we can do ourselves some favours. And I also think we can take a reset opportunity. You know, if you look at the chef's issue, there's, there's always been concerns around chef hours and, and the length and, and, and the way in which people work. This is an opportunity to, to reset that afresh, to decide to do things differently rather than doing things the way we've always done it. And, and it gives us an opportunity to think it through and, and look at those opportunities for, for people to come through to the industry. Yeah, so I mean, more flexible working things. I mean, what are you? Are you is that something you're you're even considering? Here? Yeah, but if, you need, if you're talking more flexible working, you need more staff, mm. and if you need more staff, you've got a bigger wage bill, and you need to do the turnover that's going to counteract that. And you, you know, you've still got holidays to pay. It's 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 been realistic about that. I think the government need to give us 
brakes on that, on employment, like, you know, whether it's keeping the VAT at 5% or it's the business rates, you know, for another year. So I guess, I mean, maybe that brings us into a slightly wider scope then, Kate, in terms of, you know, um, where we're at in our relationship with government and things like that. I mean, is that something that you guys are campaigning for? Is it something you think is achievable in terms of convincing government that, you know, the VAT, the business rate reform, all this kind of thing can actually have a, a more positive effect that we will see um, greater greater employment uh, and, and various other benefits as a result. Yeah, I, I think that is an active dialogue with government at the moment. I mean, they're in crisis mode, they're looking at reopening, but then they do want to move towards recovery and building back resilience and I think some of the things that the Heath just touched upon do help us build back that resilience and help them with the challenge that they've got which is around jobs, recruitment, employment opportunities, skills, training that they want to deliver. You know, this government's objective primarily is how quickly can you leave behind Brexit and COVID, deliver jobs, growth and investment at pace across all regions of the country and do the levelling under. The fastest way to do it is through hospitality, and that's why we've got the backing that we've got so far. So I think it is eminently achievable to talk to them about, you know, whether it's kickstart, whether it's the, the job recruitment in, incentive, the job retention incentive that we had before, business rates uh, reform, VAT. VAT is the single biggest thing that they could do to help build and sustain financial resilience to allow us to do that investment in the recruitment. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask this question for Heath because I know he's burning to ask it and he's probably forgotten it because he said uh, earlier. And it's something he talks about all the time. It, from your perspective and, and everything that's gone on and a lot of the people we talk to operate and things like that feel that there seems to be a bit of an anti-pub agenda within government. What's your take on that? Do you think that, that the government doesn't really give that much of a monkeys for, uh, for our sector? I don't think there, there is um, uh, a sort of conspiracy theory against pubs or a desire to pursue an anti-pub agenda. Um, I think you know if, if you look, if you look back over the last year of the crisis, hospitality has been top of the priority list every time anybody stands up to talk about restrictions, lockdown, and support. Um, we've had 14, the equivalent of 14 budgets, and in every budget event hospitality has had something that's never going to be enough um, we, we can always talk about some of the issues that, that we would have wanted to have more on we can also talk about some of the silly rules that we had last autumn that we all knew would have had um, no real impact but um, I, I don't think there is genu I genuinely don't think there is an anti-pub anti-hospitality agenda I think the government is pro-hospitality recognizes it as a major part of the economy and crucially sees it as a part of the economy that was in growth that was positive that wasn't going through uh, systemic failure or, or, or challenges unlike retail travel those issues in back the office environment all of those issues were, were industries that were in crisis before we went into COVID um, and had big challenges. They see us as part of the growth agenda. So, so I, I don't think I don't think it's right to see them as anti-pub. Um, hi, hi, Kate James here. Just a, um, a quickie. The um, looking at the decision last lockdown to remove the uh, permissive off sales to pub from pubs, um, which was a change from the previous lockdown. It, it seemed a very pernicious go at the pub trade and something that really was harmful and certainly was for us here and given that supermarkets can have sort of 
pretty much unlimited people um, with no track and trace and etc. What we were doing in the pub industry was so much more than that, and it was costing us more staff to do it. It's, it's difficult for me to, to see that there wasn't some form of negative focus on the pub trade, given changes like that that were, I say, very pernicious against us. But my second point to that being, you've been held, in, you know, I'm, I'm sure rightly, for influencing um, those at the top table and, and representing, you know, many of our great companies and, and individuals to, to, to get the best deal for us. What sort of state do you think we'd be in if you hadn't done that? What, what do you think would have um, gone through? You know, given that you don't have it, what, what would have gone through? How bad could it have been, I guess, is the uh... Well, I mean... Well, it, without the sort of input and the lobbying from the from the trade bodies, and there was there was a, a wide range of people who were involved in it. You know, I mean, you know, if you think about grants, business rate relief, um, VAT cuts, I don't think you would have got any of that without that concerted lobbying. Um, I also don't think, had we not kept it at the forefront, you would have got that continued support coming through in furlough and grants over the autumn. I think you would have had a one hit that, that you had those, those, those bits. But, you know, yeah, I, I think business rates holiday for a year and uh, VAT cut, I think, are the two biggest wins that we would, we would not have got without industry trade body lobbying. Um, and we wouldn't have got them necessarily unless we talked as the whole of hospitality. I think pub, the pub sector can be a little bit parochial when they when they look at some of those th issues to do with themselves. And I, and I, I don't doubt at all that um, you know the, the challenges that that we've all gone through and, and the the sense of being picked on and isolated and subject to different rules is incredibly frustrating. Um, but do I think that those have been identified by government and pursued as policies because they are anti-pub? No, I don't. Okay. Um, do I think that they're sort of unforeseen consequences of what they are trying to do to tackle public health crisis? Yes, I do. And I think, you know, if you, if you look at the worst possible outcome, the government has swung throughout this crisis between it, are they dealing with public health or are they dealing with an economic crisis and they haven't got the balance right at times um, and uh, you know I think we, we've got the best deal that we could have got I don't think there was anything more anybody could have done to get better but it still wasn't good enough and I think you know the worst case scenario how bad could it have been there is no doubt that the public health lobby did not want us to open last July mm. we could have been closed as the nightclubs have been as weddings have been as business events have been, we could have been closed without any revenue at all for 14, 15 months. That's how bad it could have been. Um, now, I, I was in the discussions when they were talking about what should they do about takeaway and why had they restricted the takeaway mm. issue. And that was simply because the, the views had changed in the public health department uh, and the, 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 the scientific advice about people walking around and, and doing um, non-essential retail and non-essential shopping and moving around for all of those things and what they were trying to discourage. So, so they, they equally had the same kind of things about, you know, coffee shops, um, uh, etc. Yes, you could still do takeaways, but, you know, they had 
they had government posters at the same time as, as they were saying you couldn't do takeaway sales from, from pubs. They had government posters that said popping out for a cup of coffee kills. Mm, mm. Uh, no, I, I don't think we were singled out. If you sit, as I do, in the, the breadth of hospitality and see how it applies to all those different subsectors, I don't think um, pubs were singled out any more than anybody else in, in indoor hospitality. Um, and there are, you know, some of the strange and stupid restrictions that we had also applied to bowling, applied to hotels. You know, the, the, there's been a lot of parts of the sector that had a similar approach. I think we tend to feel it particularly acutely because the margins are so tight in pubs that it matters so much as a sense of, of viability. And we are quite a community in the pub sector. So, so it, it was it potentially, it, it's more a, a case of sort of ignorance and incompetence as opposed to prejudice or, or targeting in that case, if uh, to, to sum up there, maybe. So. <laughs> um, you may think that I couldn't possibly comment, but, but, but yes, I, I, don't, I don't think it's willful attempts to destroy the pub industry. Um, do I think some in, in Public Health England have a, an anti-alcohol agenda undoubtedly they always have they're unapologetic about it doctors don't like you drinking but do they have a do, does that influence the whole of government into an anti-pub agenda is there a desire to close down pubs and restrict pubs unduly no is there a desire to restrict what customers are doing more broadly in a social space yes and that comes through in some very strange policy decisions which which don't have a lot of logic behind them at times maybe, maybe our doomsday scenario should be looking to the north and seeing what scotland are still because <laughs> <laughs> that's just truly ridiculous yeah, I mean, yeah to, to, be, to be fair you know the the, the the scottish situation the welsh situation northern ireland mm. you know they, they have you know, a pretty pretty bad situation um, all round and i think there's a lot of pubs and hotels in scotland that would kill to just have lost their takeaway sales. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm conscious of time. I mean, just one last question, Kate. I mean, how optimistic do you feel sort of looking ahead at the moment? Um, Well, as somebody who comes from the northeast and therefore is glass half empty most of the time, my my glass is probably getting towards over the halfway line. I'm, I'm more optimistic than I have been since October. Um, you know, the, the data on immunity levels, the data on prevalence, the data on the efficacy of the vaccine against transmission, all give cause for optimism that we can get to the 21st of June, that they can lift all of those social distancing restrictions and legal operational constrictions without risk and without the need for any certification. Um, I, 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 that's the way the mood music feels to be going within within government um, and so I think that gives me cause for optimism because then we can start to be viable then we can start to break even then we can start to rebuild um, and the other cause for optimism is that you know government is starting to talk to us about that what's the long-term plan for recovery of the sector 12 to 18 months out what's the longer term plan for building resilience two to five years out we've never had that before we've never had a department within government that had a unit looking after hospitality and a a long-term strategic plan that has to be grounds for optimism excellent brilliant okay kate that's all we've got time for but thank you very much for that yeah thanks cheers 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 You're listening to the Lock In Podcast. We are at the end of this week's episode. So, guys, I mean, we've been talking about uh, staff 
the recruitment challenges we're facing. We've just had a, a chat with, with Kate Nichols. Um, I mean, let's, let's just sort of have a few thoughts towards the end of, of that. We've spoken to a lot of people. There's been a lot of input there. But, mm. I mean, uh, what, what, are, what are final thoughts for this episode? I think Tom Kitchen and myself and James would strongly disagree with what Kate says because I think, you know, calling it colloquial and saying that oh, she looks after, I get it, she looks after the whole hospitality sector as a whole, but give me a break. When you say Public Health England have an agenda against alcohol and say that doesn't go across into main government, it clearly does. They clearly have a problem. I, don't, I disagree. I feel like we're getting persecuted here. And call me colloquial and call me small-minded and stupid little publican, but we stupid are... Little publican. Stupid little publican. We are getting targeted and it's just it's rubbish and I, I, but you guys could be worse that, off you could be worse off you could be in Scotland you could be in Wales but well, you but you I mean it is hard I mean the whole point of paranoia is that you tend to get kind of caught up in it and you think it is I mean is it just that you know are we so entrenched in our own woes and our own problems that we're not picking up on everything else. I think, I think we, you'd be forgiven for worrying about yourself in the last year and your business and those are the people you employ um, and your world is what you make it. So I think we can look at sectors like the travel sector who have probably not gathered themselves together as well as we have as a sector to have, you know, effectively one voice. However, there's no one that can argue with me uh, I would accept an argument to say that that movement to take our off sales away was not targeted at pubs. Oh, but also, not, not just not targeted at pubs, but based on zero evidence. Mm. And we know that, and that's coming through still. Yet the place down the road, moth license, can sell. That people can go into weight trolleys, we're going to bell them again, but the same to on this way. And they're effectively having a five... they don't touch the trolley. But, no, but they're having a five or £10,000 virtual festival every day with people going in with no track and trace. So look at the steps we have in place. I just... I. I thought Kate was really good there, and I think, you know, she clearly talks a lot of sense. I, I wanted to establish how much of the top table were and what difference you made. Um, it's, maybe it's scary what it could have looked like, but well, I still, it, I, I still I mean, think we can't ignore that very targeted approach based on absolutely fuck all. You're, you're not convinced, then, that, that there is uh, that there isn't an agenda. There's right, a little cabal inside that government that is sitting there, and they have a problem with us. 100%. But also, if you look at the um, extension of the pavement license, they are trying to, you know, they want a cafe culture. They look, they look at abroad with envy. Yeah. Um, but we're Brits. We don't, we're but, yeah, but hold on. But they we don't want us to be. That, they don't want us to. They don't want us to be in Europe anymore. But they want us to act European. Piss off. Yeah, no, I, th- I thought today was really. It was a really good uh, section of people. I thought Tom Kitchen. I, I thought was fantastic. I mean, he was just Can you imagine if you had Tom talking to Kate. What would he say? It's well, I mean, the, the Scottish thing. I mean, the Scottish thing is, is I mean, as, as Kate said, you'd rather be in, in England than in, in Scotland, Wales, or, or North Korea, Ireland at the moment. Or, well, no, Heath would rather be in North Korea. I mean, yeah. this is no one's got COVID in North Korea again. Mm. Zero cases, mm. zero deaths. They won the World Cup again this year. Well. They did, yeah, 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 yeah. and the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every year, every year they win the Olympics. Great haircuts as well. That's true. That is true. Snapping um, dresses. I mean, Heath's love of uh, North Korea aside. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, we, we, man, we've just got a through, we're going to get through this, we've got to fight our corners and get through it, because we're in reality, we're on our own. Even though we're a sector, we're on our own, we can bitch and whine on Twitter all we like, but we're on our own, fight it out, and just get through it, and then hopefully this government backs off, leaves us alone, and we get through it again. Yeah, I think you'd be, I think you'd, we're not thinking there's any more help coming. 
in any form. So it's just get on with it now. Um, and you know, it's not. It's, it's not. I don't know. To be honest, this in history to be honest any help they give us now, they're going to charge us for tenfold later. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't do that anyway. I mean, generally, we do try to like to end the podcast on a lighter note and a more cheerful ah, note. And you two fuckers have just ruined that entirely <laughs> with you bitching, whining, and moaning. Unless, unless James, any any last minute jokes that you uh, you want to hit us with? Other than the podcast, not at all. Brilliant. Thank you, James. He's got the sound effects. I've I've now got got a new machine with sound effects which are going to be employed to great effect over the coming weeks. It's something to look forward to. Wow. Sorry, everyone. And on that note, let's let's draw a line under that. Thanks very much, guys, for for taking part. We will be back next week. Don't forget to subscribe, uh, share, like, tell all your friends, uh, get our listeners' fingers up as much as possible. I think we're now nudging the double figures uh, potential here we, 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 it's more than two we've got we, uh, it's at least three the North Korean clickbait we do have on it, so we do. no we've got some listeners in North Korea they've uh... oh get on to them man they can hack some stuff we'll be everywhere before we know it Rogan will be no one hey, exactly who? yeah who exactly anyway on that note we will be back next week you lucky lucky people